0: Welcome to Cookbook Club. We are home cooks from Portland, Oregon.
1: I'm Sarah Gray.
0: And I'm Renee Wilkinson.
1: Every other episode of Cookbook Club will be focused not on a cookbook, but a cooking topic. Today, we're going to talk about cookbooks that can teach you how to cook.
0: These books go beyond a collection of recipes to actually introduce concepts and skills for better cooking. They focus on techniques, and you learn from the process of making their recipes how to be a better cook.
1: So this is an idea that came to us because we've just recently talked about the book Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nosrat. Even previously, we've talked a little bit about Small Victories by Julia Tertian, Mm -hmm. which are two books that are not just a collection of recipes. They really teach you techniques throughout. And so we wanted to delve into other books that also sort of, fit that description of a book that could make you a better cook and not just be recipes to practice on.
0: And these are books I find that are a little bit tricky to have as like a cookbook club book, the ones that I at least am going to talk about. Some of these, they, you spend so much time on like learning how to slow cook something or learning the art of braising, for example, that it's hard to kind of make a meal, I feel like, that 12 people can all contribute something to. So Sarah, I want to hear what books you have really drawn from that have taught you how to be not just like taught you how to cook, but have kind of like elevated your cooking to this different level.
1: Right, right. So I have a couple on both fronts. So the book I would say that taught me how to cook is the America's Test Kitchen Family Cookbook. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also have one called the Family Baking Book, and I'm a big baker, so I've really enjoyed that. When I was first cooking, I spent a lot of time with those cookbooks, but they even still to this day can teach me new things. So, the America's Test Kitchen Family Cookbook is like a big cookbook in a binder, sort mm-hmm. of like that old Betty Crocker. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. It has like, you know, a hundred sections, not really a hundred, but it has a lot of sections with all different recipes. And the thing about America's Test Kitchen is that they're like very scientific about things. And like all throughout the book, there's things like, you know, you're in the cake section and it'll say, what bunt pan did we like best? You know, and they'll say, we tried 12 different bunt pans Mm -hmm. and we liked this one because it had like more even heat and those kinds of things. So they make recommendations for actual like kitchen supplies, kitchen gear, uh, and tools, but they also will tell you, like, do it this way, not this way. You know, uh-huh. use this ingredient and don't use this similar ingredient. You know, they'll they go through like whole lists of what you can substitute for ingredients and what you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be super helpful. I've learned techniques from that book, like how to make ice cream, which I have a lot of thoughts on, and we're going to talk about on a different episode. But you know, I learned that technique from The America's Test Kitchen from a time in my life when I didn't realize you could do that at home. I just think there's so many techniques and there are a million recipes in that book.
0: What I like about that book, though, that is different from other what I think of as like encyclopedia cookbooks where they have like every recipe under the sun is that they very do succinctly teach you something with each recipe. I've made a blueberry pie recipe out of there and like pie is my jam. Like I love making pie. And I had never made a blueberry pie like the one in their cookbook because they talk about how when you cut into something like a blueberry pie, often all the blueberries just spill right out, which totally happens when I make my blueberry pie. And in their recipe, I think they have you pre cook the filling. Mm -hmm. And so when you cut into it, it really does like perfectly hold in there.
1: They have you do the same thing with apple. Oh, okay. And with an apple pie filling, because they say if you load up a pie, you know, a double crust pie Mm -hmm. with raw apples then they cook down and then you end up with like a half full pie
0: sam sifton does that in his book thanksgiving how to cook it well and that's like my favorite go-to apple pie now Mm -hmm. but i hadn't ever come across that in a recipe i guess until i came across the america's test kitchen book it's
1: things like that that are kind of obvious if you really were to spend a lot of time thinking about it like raw apples cooked down to be much more compact. But when you're cooking, you don't often think about things like that. And so it's nice for them to spell it out and say, do it this way. Yeah. And here's the reason. And they always back it up with the reason. I think they test things aggressively. That's why they're called The Test Kitchen. That book has been a huge help.
0: We're always kind of cooking in a vacuum in a way, you know, we're the only person in the kitchen doing it or maybe with our partner or something. But When you kind of crowdsource then like how to do something well or talking about a recipe, like when they talk about the gap in the apple pie... Like, yeah, that's super annoying. And I've noticed that for my whole entire life when I cut into an apple pie. But you're just never in a room with like 10 other people who want to get that specific about how a recipe really turned out. Right, right. Exactly.
1: So I love those, the baking book as well, which is just more baking focused. Lots of sort of classic go-to recipes. And also it's all backed up by, you know, we tried it a bunch of different ways and here's how to get the best flavor. Another one, I would say that sort of, I would say there's two books that sort of elevated my cooking from... I would say like good to great, much better. You can say great. You're a great cook, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Say it loud and proud. "Are Small Victories by Julia Tertian and Salt-Fat-Acid Heat by Samin Nusrat. So Small Victories, the thing I love about that in terms of like the teaching element is that every single recipe revolves around a technique, Mm -hmm. which is what she calls the small victories. And so it's things like, I think of the Jenny's Chicken Palau, like the Mm -hmm. small victories in that recipe is... That you should have a go-to one-pot meal. Mm -hmm. Like, brilliant, right? Yes, have a one-pot meal that you can go to, and that's easy to make.
0: I think of the cabbage, the roasted cabbage from that kind of rice, kind of sort of rice pilaf, which I actually did not enjoy the rice pilaf part of that recipe. But I love the cabbage. But I love the cabbage part, and... You know, that book was a win just for that, to realize that you can make cabbage so delicious when you roast it at a super high heat with a ton of olive oil and salt, right. and it's like the most delicious way to eat cabbage ever. And your four-year-old will bubble it
1: up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's so many small victories in there that are, you know, techniques that I find that I can take a technique from there and sort of apply it somewhere else.
0: I mean, Julia Tertian is pretty brilliant in the sense that she understands how busy modern lives are and to break a recipe down to just one tiny win for Mm -hmm. each recipe that's like accessible to somebody on a weeknight who's cooking, who doesn't have the time to sit down and like read long stories and lessons. Right. She does that so, so well.
1: Yeah, I think that's really great. And I mean, we've talked before about how I've made more than half the recipes in that book. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so much from cooking out of that book. And then salt, fat, acid, heat, of course, which we just talked about recently on the podcast. I've said this before, but I just love how she's more concerned with making it good than making it fast, mm-hmm. uh, which is not to say it's really slow, but it's just not the focus of the book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and there's just so much there. It's so dense about how you know how we can use different techniques to make food really good. Talk to me about the books that you you have, you know, that have elevated your cooking.
0: Well, one book that I have mentioned in passing on the podcast before is The Art of Simple Food by Alice Waters. This book came out in 2007, which was kind of at the beginning of when the sort of slow food movement and the eat local stuff was really starting to get to more of a mass level. People have been doing that, of course, for like hundreds, thousands of years. But Alice Waters' book, I think, really connected that more to home cooking Making it more accessible for everyday people. This is a total aside, but there was a really interesting article in the New York Times with Alice Waters. I think it was the New York Times where it talked about how this isn't actually accessible to everybody. Alice Waters takes it into a little bit more of an extreme direction on the time and the quality of the ingredients, I think, than Samin Nasrat does. Samin keeps it pretty accessible, but Alice Waters, like, you know, there's a certain income bracket that has. The amount of time and quality ingredients to make some of these recipes. That criticism aside, this book came to me in like around 2007 when it came out. And it did teach me how to make some really great fundamental recipes she breaks the book up into different sections. Like she has a section just about roasting things in the oven. And she gives you, you know, like five recipes all around that lesson. And the same thing with braising or simmering. She has a whole section on slow cooking, like not using your slow cooker. I spent a lot of time in that section of this book. And my favorite beef stew is actually from Alice Waters. What makes the book a little bit inaccessible is that it's like so much beef, like it's like, maybe over two pounds of beef stew meat Whoa. and like not a lot of vegetables, which, you know, that's just really expensive. If you're yeah. buying really good quality meat, like not everybody can afford to do that. True. And yet I do still use that recipe. I've just modified it over time to like cut down on the meat a little bit and add a little bit more vegetables. But I remember making that recipe when Juniper, my firstborn, was like barely born, like a a month old. One of my in-laws came out to visit during that time, which was kind of like a first child rookie mistake on our part. (laughs) (laughs) But for some reason, every time I have a baby, I just really want to make something special to eat, I think is just a gift of time to myself, like a gift of service to myself. And so I remember making that beef stew recipe with uh, one of my in-laws in my kitchen of our, our old house. And it just felt so luxurious to spend like the two plus hours having it simmer on the stove and just using excellent ingredients and in a really simple way. And
1: amazing. Yeah, and... and it was
0: something so nourishing, and it was postpartum, and I'll always have fond memories of that beef stew from that time of my life. It's funny,
1: I have a very visceral postpartum beef stew memory. Really, well. like beef stew I think is a great thing to go to when you're postpartum. Yeah, I didn't make it, but my mother-in-law came and stayed uh-huh. with us for a few days after Lewis was born, my oldest, and she, I remember she made beef stew, and I was like so hungry and so tired and like so like depleted feeling Uh and like it just was like the best thing I'd ever eaten.
0: Yeah it's such a punch of like iron and comforting. Yeah so good. warm oh my gosh. I've also spent a lot of time which is probably not a surprise since it's me in the tarts savory and sweet section and also the the fruit desserts because we grow a lot of our own food or get it from like some really great uh, local farms. You don't need to do a lot of fancy stuff to like the world's best peach for example right and Alice Waters is totally embraces that. And she teaches you how to make she has an all butter pie crust recipe that I have used pretty exclusively now. And things like a fruit crisp, just these things that really showcase the fruit, they don't detract from the flavor, they're not too overly sickly sweet, which at the time in 2007 was kind of a new concept. So this book, I still you know, I've had it for 15 years, and I still use it all the time.
1: So a book that I'd love to plug, even though it came to me sort of like beyond being a beginning cook, but I think is so sweet, is a book called How to Cook by Hugh Acheson. It's a very like learn to cook from scratch kind of book. And he wrote it like as a love letter to his teenage daughters. Oh, that's so cute. Because they're like... You know, they've grown up with a chef for a dad. Yeah. And he's like, in imagining them going out into the world, like, I want them to be able to cook food. They don't have to cook like me, but they need to be able to make themselves food that's tasty. And That's a brilliant
0: um, idea. I I worry about that with my kids. I don't know about you, but I didn't know what I was doing when I was, like, 18 and trying to make food on my own. Right. No, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Instant noodles and stuff. Yeah, like grilled cheese sandwiches and, like, really gross tuna noodle casserole tried, you know, like I was like, I guess this is what people make when they make dinner.
1: Right, right. Yeah. It took me a long time to figure any of that out. So is this an easy cookbook then? Yeah, it's fairly easy. It's a small book. It's really sweet. It's got, yeah, all these like building blocks. And then it has recipes where you like put the building blocks together. Mm-hmm. And I like that format a lot. So it's like, here's how you poach an egg. And then it's like, here's 19 ways you can use to poach egg. Oh, okay. Which is kind of cool.
0: That seems like a good gift for someone who's just got their first apartment. For sure. Or their yep. first house, even. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Some books that came to mind when we started talking about books that help you learn to cook... What came to my mind is there's a whole bunch of books that are like food science books Mm -hmm. almost. And they're sort of less cookbooks and more of this like food science genre. So I think of Kenji Lopez-Alt, who wrote The Food Lab. Mm -hmm. I think of Harold McGee, who wrote um, The Science and Lore of the Kitchen, and then also wrote The Guide to Making the Best of Foods and Recipes. And he also wrote Keys to Good Cooking, which does have more recipes in it. Mm -hmm. But those are pretty like dense. There's also another one called Food IQ, which I recently was looking at by Daniel Holtzman and Matt Roadbard. And so those books, I feel like I'm drawn to them because I love food and I love to cook, but they don't speak to me on like a recipe level. I think at this moment in my life, if I bust out Harold McGee, like I don't really want to spend like an hour reading about the Maillard reaction, which is like what caramelizes onions. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to read about it. I just want to caramelize some onions. Yeah. Um, So I think those books exist definitely like for someone. It's maybe not me at this moment, uh-huh. but I do like having some of them. I mean, I have those on my bookshelf and I do sometimes turn to them if I'm like, I don't understand why this works or I don't, you know, they are a good reference book, but it's not like I'm going to sit reading it. And without a lot of recipes in them, I don't know, they don't speak to me as much, but I do like that there's all of that out there so that you can really like get to the bottom of like mm-hmm. what is actually happening when I'm caramelizing the onions or mm-hmm. what's happening when I sear a steak. Or I mean, Harold McGee like really gets into it. Like it's like here's all the things that like are true about dairy, like from a science perspective.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's I thick, could see though. I could see how that speaks to some people's interests and brains yeah. in the way that they want to understand things. Yeah, it doesn't speak to me in that way. I don't I don't need to know. I guess like what's in the engine? And... Right. It's like, is it delicious? Yeah. How I mean, did I you get it. There, I need to understand a little bit of like. Do this, and do you see how that, like, builds the flavor right. to blah, 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 blah. But right, right. I, I'm not as interested in that, that level of detail. Yeah, and
1: I think at this moment in my life, I'm much more hands-on with my learning and cooking.
0: Yeah, me too. I because
1: <laughs> it serves a very functional purpose, which is, I have two small children. It's hard at this moment in my life to have, like, a lot of time set aside to do a hobby, essentially. Uh-huh. But guess what? My hobby feeds my family every night. So it's like, well, I'm cooking dinner. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think there's like a little bit of brilliance about that. But I did want to note those books just because I think there are some people for whom entering from like kind of a science perspective Mm -hmm. could really open up cooking to them. Mm -hmm. I think those are all good ones if that's sort of like the angle you want to attack it from.
0: Those are great recommendations. Yeah. I mean, that's partly why I gravitate towards the art of simple food, because I think it's a little bit of passivity on my part. I just know if I spend time in this section and I make a couple of the recipes from like the slow cooking section or whatever, Mm -hmm. at that point, I know how to slow cook things. Right. I don't have to do a lot of brain work necessarily. I just kind of have to go through the motions and let Alice Waters like guide me a little bit. And then now that I have done it, I know how to do it again and and how to build the flavor.
1: Right. Right. We'll be back in a minute after this quick break. Drop cloth Samplers is a line of hand-drawn embroidery samplers printed and ready for you to jump in and start stitching right away. Each pattern is hand-drawn by Rebecca Ringquist in her Portland, Oregon studio and printed for you to embroider with your own color and thread choices, like coloring book pages, but for embroidery. You can find drop cloth Samplers on Etsy or on Instagram at Dropcloth. I do have another book I'd like to shout out, which is the book Cooked by Michael Pollan. Oh,
0: hi. Uh-huh. It's
1: really good. It's neither a food as science book. Nor a cookbook. I was just thinking, like, Michael Pollan's writing recipes? No, not at all. <laughs> well, the crazy thing, though, like, the more I learn about the food world, the smaller it seems. But Oh, yeah. Samin Nosrat was in Michael Pollan's class, like, because he's a professor. He ended up, like, recruiting her to teach him how to cook. Really? So that he could write this book about cooking. Oh, wow. And it's a book about cooking, but it's also a, booking, a book about why we cook uh-huh. and, like, its cultural importance and It's so good. I really loved it. As much as I just said, I don't have time to sit around and like read about the science of each individual food. That's not what this book is. But I found that book so fascinating, and I love Michael Pollan's writing anyway. I mean, is he really more storytelling rather than science? Absolutely, absolutely. But he does talk a lot about specific food, and I really liked that book. And it really put like cooking into context for me, and like cooking is important Mm -hmm. culturally, and like. As a species, cooking is one of the things that sets humans apart.
0: It does feel like we have it backwards right now in the way that our culture is, our modern yeah. culture, because we deprioritize cooking so much. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing that nobody wants to do and nob- we don't have time for because we're choosing as a culture to not make time for it. I know that all probably sounds extremely like snobby and soapboxy, but I would love to read that book and get more, I guess, validation about yes. the why it is so important that we prioritize making good food and why that matters. Right.
1: Well, and for me too, it's like, it's complicated because sometimes as a, you know, like almost 40 year old person in the year 2022, I think about like, I have a career and I have, you know, and like, sometimes cooking feels to me like a thing that is like old fashioned. Mm -hmm. That is a thing that's like, you know, a woman's role. Yeah. And that's complicated for me. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of women are like, hell no, I'm not going to learn how to cook because then I'm just going to be expected to cook all the time, Mm -hmm. which I understand that. Like, I definitely feel those feelings about it. But we got to eat. And like anthropologically, cooking is a really important thing. Mm -hmm. And so as much as I don't think only women should be cooking, Mm -hmm. I'm the woman in my house who does all the cooking. So, (laughs) you know, here we are. But it helps me to know that cooking and feeding ourselves and feeding our families and all of that is like a very important thing from like a human perspective. So that's why I highly recommend that book. And it does it really takes the pressure off of no, I love cooking. And this is how I want to spend my time. Mm -hmm. And that's my choice.
0: I mean, you bring up really important points about just sort of the context of where we come from with this podcast in general, that we're two women who sit around and talk about cooking and family cooking. Mm -hmm. And yet they're conflicting feelings around that because in the history of our culture, like women were expected and assumed to do those roles. And that's not necessarily where our values are. Everybody should know how to cook.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's sort of for me, having that book as, you know, offering some perspective allowed me to sort of like take it back because I think historically, you know, it's like women's work has been valued less. Mm -hmm. And so cooking became this thing that was valued less. This is how we eat which keeps us alive this is actually some of the most important work
0: yeah i mean Um, there's a lot of that i think in the world of women right
1: very true there's also
0: like our creating human beings and birthing them and the support you know and like the expectation of what is being a good mother compared to being a good father and yet how many resources are allocated towards supporting those mothers to be good mothers and whatever yes I have to say for the record, with my soapboxy comments about Alice Waters and Michael Pollan and like how important it is that we all, as a culture, reprioritize cooking, I know that that's a complicated conversation because not all of us have that luxury of time. Not all of us have the luxury of finances to be able to even buy what we consider basic ingredients. Like a Happy Meal is going to be less expensive than a bunch of organic apples for your kids. And And when you're you're, just
1: barely making it. Yeah,
0: when you're on a budget, you're going to choose the calories, and I get that. Mm -hmm. And that's because our culture has been set up to reward cheap, crappy food and make it seem like it's less expensive because we're subsidizing it. Right. When in reality... We should never be in a situation where an apple is more expensive than a Happy Meal.
1: Right. That's a systemic problem. I think we should be clear about that, that that's not the fault of people who are just barely scraping by. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, let's acknowledge that for sure. I know I'm getting really tangential. It's just hard when you talk about, like, the fundamentals of cooking. Like, these are things that we should all know how to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I wish that we could (laughs) work this into the curriculum of public school so that kids graduate high school and they know how to like roast a chicken yeah roast a chicken hard boil an egg yeah you know and season things well right (laughs) you know not whip up like crazy sauces but just to build a meal that's going to be nourishing and you can choose where to get your chicken from and whatever sure Gourmet has a, you know, the big yellow cookbook. They Mm -hmm. have like a follow up one a few years later that I think was green. Um, That's more of an encyclopedia cookbook. It really doesn't teach you lessons in it a whole lot. But it was one that came to me earlier in my my cooking journey. I think that contrasts with the America's Test Kitchen, where America's Test Kitchen does have the lessons built in.
1: One of the encyclopedia ones that I sometimes turn to is the How to Cook Everything mm-hmm. series from Mark Bittman, which, you know, the one I'm looking at is the basics, but I also have the vegetarian one. Mm-hmm. Um, and those can be kind of handy because they are, a lot of them are like basic techniques. Yeah. One thing that I had never done before, because I grew up in a household that air popped our popcorn, and I've I've always had an air popper mm-hmm. as an adult, is that I've never cooked popcorn in oil. Oh, Like, I've never done it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I didn't know how to do that and i was feeling really intimidated by it and like in how to cook everything the basics he's like here's here's how you do it i wonder if that's like shows that
0: i'm a gen xer okay (laughs) it's like i grew up in a house that had like a special pan you know with a lid and like the old crank and you like crank it around i've seen pictures of it and then it yeah but that was like our popcorn popper for my entire coming of age right right and then actually when jay and i got married marilyn foster who i used to work with hi marilyn gave me that for our wedding gift and like we still use it all the time when we have popcorn and smoothie night there you go now i don't feel so intimidated by it because it's just like here's how you do it it's so fun the kids love to use it actually we'll Mm -hmm. put like a hot pad over the top so that the hot air coming out doesn't burn them but they love to stand there on the little step stool and and turn it it.
1: yeah Yeah. that's fine yeah that's a good job for a kid Mm -hmm. for sure so there's that is a really basic book i mean it's like how to boil eggs and he's got a whole section in there like granola and muesli mm-hmm. and he's like granola and muesli are the same thing but one of them's cooked oh <laughs> which is interesting granola is yeah, yeah. Oh, okay so the you cook the granola and then with the muesli you just mix it up and it's like raw oats
0: uh, interesting i didn't know that yeah. either I feel like we just gave people a lot of really good options depending on where you're entering the home Mm -hmm. cooking world. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're a beginner home cook, what are the books that we talked about that are the best ones for you?
1: Right. I would say Get How to Cook by Hugh Acheson. Get Small Victories by Julia Tertian, maybe invest in that America's Test Kitchen family cookbook. I liked the one of, like,
0: you're just getting your first apartment. Yeah. Then you should also get... Hugh Atchison, that's how to cook.
1: And then once you're ready to like take things to the next level, I mean, I think small victories can take you there, but also get into salt, fat, acid, heat. Maybe you then get into The Art of Simple
0: Food with Alice Waters. Mm -hmm. I would say that The Art of Simple Food with Alice Waters and Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat are good companion books. I think that even though The Art of Simple Food is older and therefore may not be as exciting, I think it does hold up over time. And the last third or quarter of the book is just all super simple recipes. So it is a good kind of hybrid between like an encyclopedia type book and a technique book. I think that the sulfat acid, heat is like more of a contemporary crowd pleaser because it's so visually beautiful and like really fun to flip through. But the art of simple food is still a great dense Bible of how to cook food well.
1: I have an idea. Yeah. If you want to learn how to cook, this is an idea that I can't use for myself because I know how to cook already. But let's say you want to learn how to cook and you've got some friends who also want to learn how to cook. Start a cookbook club. That just for the first year, just focus around these cookbooks yeah, or others that are aimed at beginning cooking and technique. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the year, you'll have an advanced cookbook
0: club. That would be great. I I mean, if also if you couldn't meet every month, I think that would be a good one, too, because you could focus on one of those building fundamentals books and just cook out of that for two to three months. Right. And then get together and share some meals and talk about how it went. Bring the recipes you like the most. Talk Mm -hmm. through what you learned that's a great idea.
1: And like you talked about, you know, often when you're cooking, you're cooking in a vacuum. And man, has it been so great for my like inspiration level to have a cookbook club because there are other people to bounce ideas off of and other people to say, have you guys tried this recipe? It's so good. And to join together and have a meal, which is my favorite meal of the month every month.
0: Yeah, it's like the best thing because you get the social aspect. And then I like being able to have like a gift of service, you know, where you're making something really special for other people. and People who you know will appreciate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the self-serving point for me also is that I want to learn how to be a better cook and I do enjoy making really good things, but I'm never going to prioritize that need of my own. And so being accountable to a group
1: Mm -hmm.
0: makes it happen. It's like forces me to be like, okay, I'm trying a new recipe. I'm trying a new cookbook that I would maybe not have like known about or picked up on my own. Right. And if you're doing it
1: communally, I feel like um, the flops hurt a little less because you, yeah. you're more able to say like, hey, everybody, this recipe sucked. Uh-huh. And here's why I think it sucked. Like mm-hmm. it turns into like a learning moment mm-hmm. versus like just like angrily throwing it in the trash and walking away. Yeah. And there's like nobody to talk about it with.
0: Yeah, I tend to be really critical about my recipes too, and it's interesting when I bring something that I think is like a total flop, and people are everybody gobbles club, it up. They're, yeah, they're not trying to make you feel better about it, but no. they are like, you know, I actually, I think
1: this is pretty good. Right. Like, oh, okay. Which I'm... happens most of the time that somebody thinks they've totally botched something.
0: Yeah. Everybody's can...
1: like, I'm eating it.
0: <laughs> I feel great. like at every cookbook club, there is almost one re- recipe that someone feels like they totally botched, yeah. and we're always and it like, always gets eaten. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. Like it may not win a beauty contest, right. but it's still good. Make sure that you join us next time because we're going to be talking about the Camp Out Cookbook by Marnie Hennell and Jen Stevenson. We're super excited to get this one going right before summer camping season. So excited.
1: Cook along with us between now and then. Just tag us on Instagram at Cookbook Club Show or send us a voice memo or a comment at Cookbook Club Show at gmail.com. You can find us online at
0: cookbookclub.show. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next one. And if you leave us a review, that really helps other home cooks find us too. We'll see you soon. Bye.